Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show you wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So continues the story of the emergence of the church in the book of Acts chapter 2. My name is Kurt, and I'm also one of the pastors here, and I want to add my welcome to you this morning. We are in week three of our series that we're calling Emerge, where we are taking time to walk through the first eight chapters of the book of Acts as we explore the emergence of the church following the resurrection of Jesus. In this series, we've been asking some kind of larger questions that, that might guide us in the midst of the current crisis in which we find ourselves. And as we imagine what the future may hold, questions like what will emerge in our church as a result of having gone through this coronavirus pandemic together? What will emerge in me or what will emerge in, in us individually in our lives as we seek to entrust ourselves to God and to seek the guidance and the power of his spirit to re-inspire us and ignite a new passion for reaching out to a lost and a hurting world? Is it possible that we are entering into a new time of reformation in the church? That the church is changing and as a result of having gone through this really difficult time that we are being reformed in new ways to be able to minister in Jesus' name to a lost and a hurting world? If so, how, how do we not only begin to discern the movement of God's spirit in our lives and in his church, but prepare ourselves to become a part of what God is doing in our midst? In this process, we see an invitation in the words of 1 Corinthians 2.9 to open ourselves to the new possibilities that God may be inviting us to explore, where it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. And so in that invitation and in that spirit, as we continue in the second chapter of Acts, I invite you to pray with me and invite God to speak to us as we dig into his word. Holy God, we do thank you that you are with us, that you give us the gift of your power and your presence in our lives, and that even now today, your spirit wants to blow your wind of refreshment and renewal in our lives to blow out the, the dust that is in us and to, to set a fire down deep in our souls and to reignite a passion uh, for the life that you've called us to live and, and the mission that you've called us to pursue as followers of Jesus in this world. God, speak to us through your word today 
and help us to see how you are inviting us to a fresh experience of your spirit in our lives again. And we will thank you and praise you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. The mission of the church has always been the same. Jesus met his disciples after he rose from the dead. And in Matthew 28, he commissioned them. We call it the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations to baptize them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit and to teach them to obey everything that Jesus had had commanded. And he promised, he said, and I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. This is the mission that Jesus gave his disciples to pursue. And it's our mission as Jesus' disciples today. And yet, as we've been looking in the book of Acts, and we dig a little bit deeper into this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, we recognize that while the mission of the church is always the same, the strategy that Jesus gave his disciples to fulfill that mission did not begin with the word go, but with the word wait. Jesus said, wait for the gift that my father promised. And he said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And so we're spending a little time camping out in Acts chapter two, chapter two, because there's so much here for us that uh, lays the groundwork for understanding the rest of the book of Acts and what the Holy Spirit is doing through the emergence of this new experience of human community called the church. The second chapter of Acts really introduces us to three key points that we need to understand in order to to see the movement of the spirit from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and outward into the world. The first thing is, is the gift of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week. And then we're going to start getting into the second point, which is the anointing to be Christ's witnesses in the world. And ultimately, this leads to a new experience of a spirit-led community of believers that has come to be known as the church. Last week, we talked about how the spirit comes as wind and as fire. And like wind, even though you can't see it, you can see the effects of its presence. And and, and it creates movement. and, And we follow by seeing the results of where the spirit has been. And like fire, even though it has no physical form in itself, yet it ignites passion. It burns away impurities and it spreads from one person to another. In the beginning of Acts chapter two, all the disciples, it tells us, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues or they spoke in other languages. And everyone who had gathered in Jerusalem from all over the known world, Acts says there are some 15 different languages represented by those who heard the first disciples, heard the disciples speaking in their own tongue, in their own language. Now, some made fun of them. They're like, these guys are drunk with wine. But others were amazed and they wanted to know what does this mean? 
So what, what does this mean? What does it mean that these disciples were baptized with the spirit and they, they spoke in tongues and in other languages and there was kind of this mystical, crazy experience that they had all those years ago? Well, Peter stands up and it says he stands up not alone, but with the other 11, the apostles representing the people because all of them had been baptized in the spirit. And he immediately connects this experience of the sending of the Holy Spirit with the prophecy of the Old Testament particularly the the prophet Joel chapter 2. He's connecting it to the larger story of God and to the prophetic arch of God's story, to the promises that God has made through the centuries to his people, of which Jesus says, the gift that my father has promised is the gift of his spirit. Now, it's important for us to understand uh, this idea of prophecy. Prophecy is one of those spiritual gifts that we identify. And often uh, it can be confusing because when we think of prophecy, we think of Nostradamus and predicting the far future. Uh, But more often than not in the Bible, prophecy isn't about simply predicting the future, but it's about interpreting the present time. It's about understanding what's happening and being able to discern where God is working and moving in our lives and in the world and being able to use the promises of God and the scripture of God to be able to see how God has planned to use this time for his purposes and his glory. And then we see how what we are experiencing today points us toward the end that God has already promised is is guaranteed. And that one day all people from all nations and all tongues will be gathered before the throne of God. We see in Revelation singing the praise of God. And so what we see here in the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel is the, the beginning of God's promise to fulfill that everyone would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus regardless of your social status, regardless of your nation of origin, regardless of your ethnicity or your gender or, or all of these things, God is breaking down the barriers that divide us as humanity and creating a new experience through the presence and the power of his spirit. From Peter's reference to Joel, we see that prophecy speaks to the present time. Remember, he's answering the very question that that his hearers were asking. What does this mean? What does this mean for us today, right now? And in this sense, prophecy finds the promises and the images from the past and allows it to speak into our lives today. It uses these ideas to, to, to prompt us to keep moving forward and to have faith that we can trust that God is at work in our lives and will continue to lead us into a new experience of his mission and his promise for his people. See, Peter is claiming that this experience at Pentecost with the gift of the spirit and and all the people being filled and, and speaking in tongues is both an immediate experience of God's present fulfillment of that promise But it also points us toward the the future for our lives, for how do we now move forward to live into that promise and become a part of this reality that God is bringing into the world. See, Peter's working to show that the events of the day point beyond themselves to the larger truth that God is wanting to affirm and confirm through this experience that this Christ who died, who rose again from the dead and who ascended into heaven is Lord and Messiah. He is God come in the flesh. He is Emmanuel. And the spirit is the confirmation of what the Bible says is true. And isn't that what prophets do? 
They show that the present events connect to God and God's purposes so that we can understand our lives today and have meaning and purpose and value in spite of all the things that might be confusing and, and fearful and raging around us, just like living in the midst of a coronavirus epidemic. You see, a prophet isn't just a, a miraculous truth or future teller, but a prophet is, is a person who is authorized to speak on behalf of someone else. It is a witness. It is a, a someone who gives testimony, who says, thus saith the Lord. If you look at all of the prophets in the Old Testament, they were called by God to bring a message to the people of their day so that they could have faith and hope in God. And in some ways, prophets then are interpreters, right? They're, they're teachers. They, they help people to, to connect the dots, to understand that what we're experiencing and what we're seeing in the world is a part of what God has predicted and planned is a part of his mission through Jesus Christ. And so we can see how in every age and in every generation, we are living out God's perfect plan for his people. So that raises the question, why tongues? It's kind of an odd one, right? I mean, uh, speaking in a language that we don't understand that other people can hear it and, and tongues over the centuries has become a very controversial issue in the church. See, as a result of the gift of the spirit, all of the disciples become empowered as prophets of God because they are now telling the praises of God. They are witnessing to what God has done in their life. And the spirit empowers them to be able to tell their story in other languages so that all the people can hear and understand the meaning of what God's message is in this gift of the Holy Spirit. Scholars suggest that this event signals that God is creating a new experience of, of humanity with God. And through that, a new experience of humanity with one another. It's the emergence of a new community experience that is ignited and, and woven together by the presence and the power of God's spirit. And the focus on human language suggests that God is in the process of reversing the curse of Babel. Now, we're not going to have time to go into the curse of Babel today, but I want to spend some time digging into that next week. It's interesting that, that it, in Babel, in, in Genesis chapter 11, all of the people were scattered and God confused the languages so, so, so that they would not be able to coordinate their, their efforts and they were uh, scattered throughout the world. But now we see a reversal of the curse of Babel and God is weaving people back together and allowing them to cooperate in a whole new way. And there's some really cool stuff that I, I'm looking forward to going through next week around the Tower of Babel. But for now, we see that God is ushering in a new era of cooperative partnership among people through the presence of his spirit. All those whose hearts are moved to respond to the good news message are invited by Peter to be baptized in the name of Jesus and to also receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. So this idea of tongues as one of the spiritual gifts that, that God gives has uh, begun to be confused with, uh, there's two different kinds of tongues or way of understanding tongues in the Bible. The first way of understanding tongues, which simply means to speak in another language, is this uh, understanding that what we talk in a, a known human language that we don't necessarily understand, but somebody else understands it because it's their language. Uh, scholars suggest that the Greek word for, for this uh, kind of speaking in tongues is xenolalia. 
It's speaking in a known language. It specifically designates that uh, the language that's spoken is one that already exists, that someone else understands, but the person speaking it didn't know before. The other kind of tongues that we see emerge in the New Testament that comes a little bit later on, uh, scholars use the word, the Greek word glossolalia, which means uh, to, to speak in a language, but, but is often part of a personal religious practice in our relationship with God, where we speak in, in a, a language, maybe a spirit language, or uh, in the early church, they called it the language of the angels, which is a, a language that we don't understand, but we trust God to interpret it. it it's like uh, Paul says in Romans, you know, we, we cry out with, with sighs that are too deep for words. Sometimes there are things in us that we, we don't have the words to express, but some people find that the, the Spirit moves them to, to simply express themselves through, through some language that they don't understand, and that that's a way of intimately communicating with God. There are three times in the book of Acts where we see the use of tongues followed immediately after the gift of the spirit. The first one here in Pentecost and then later in Acts 10 with the conversion of Cornelius and his whole household. And then later in Acts 19 with the apostle Paul in Ephesus and the laying on of hands of new believers there. But each time it seems very clear from the context of the text that the the use of tongues in those contexts was xenolalia. It was disciples speaking languages that were known human languages that other people heard and understood. But later, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, the apostle Paul goes to great lengths to talk about the varieties of of tongues and the ways that tongues plays into our spiritual lives, the glossolalia, and how important it is for us to understand the value and the difference of xenolalia and glossolalia. Xenolalia is a part of the mission of God to to go into all the world to to share the good news, whereas glossolalia is a part of the intimacy that comes in our relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. It's important for us to understand that, that Paul's long explanation in 1 Corinthians 14 definitively shows that, that as part of the larger biblical story, story, the primary value and purpose of tongues is the affirmation of God's promises and the truth-telling of God's word and what it means to us as human beings. The purpose of prophecy is to give witness and testimony to Jesus and the experience of xenolalia of speaking in tongues after the giving of the spirit is a part of furthering the mission of God in the world. That's why Paul says in chapter 14 of first Corinthians, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. See, at the beginning of this emerging era of the spirit and the emergence of the church in the world, it is demonstrated that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of an anointing to share the good news message of Jesus with a lost and a hurting world. 
It's in a way that depicts the gospel going forth from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the sign of tongues is a sign that that this mission that Jesus gave his disciples in Acts chapter 1 is now becoming fulfilled. And not only that, but the Spirit is giving them power beyond their own natural human ability to fulfill this calling, to share the good news message with all those that God would call them to share with. So this sign, this speaking in tongues in Acts here fits with Jesus' proclamation that the Spirit's enabling of the church would be a part of their igniting passion to go into all the world to share this good news. And we see, and we'll talk about this later, that the outcome, the result of what the disciples experienced is evidence that this was the purpose for why this gift was given where we see at the end of chapter 2 that, that 3,000 people were saved and came to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus that day. So what about for us? How does this all relate to and impact us today? I'd like to suggest for us that in a deeply personal way, each person, each one of us, you and me, are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to become a witness for Jesus to become a prophet for God. There are many other ways throughout the New Testament that the power of the Holy Spirit is seen to manifest itself in the lives of Jesus' disciples. But right here at the beginning, in the book of Acts, we see that it is connected directly to Jesus' great commission to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. Because of the consistency of the occurrence of how tongues is used in the book of Acts, some people often consider that speaking in tongues is a a necessary sign that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yet throughout the centuries since Pentecost, we have to admit that many people who have obvious signs, not only of the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, have not spoken in tongues. And that should make us worry of insisting that any particular spiritual gift or manifestation of the Spirit is required in order for us to, to say that someone has received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Most often today, the the experience of speaking in tongues that people refer to, other than a few stories that we often hear of missionaries in a foreign land, is the glossolalia, it's the spirit language, which which is much more encouraged to be a, a private experience between you and God, because Paul says, what value is there in speaking in a language that no one understands? Because the goal of being witnesses for Christ is to share the good news testimony of what God has done in our lives and what it means for others if they too say yes to Jesus and are willing to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The gift of tongues or or glossolalia has been a gift that many Christians profess has been a meaningful and powerful gift in their lives. It's brought intimacy with God and joy in their spiritual experience and and, and power in their own experience of God. And over that, we should rejoice and, and celebrate when God leads people to experience this gift in their lives. However, it also seems clear that it's a mistake to make tongues a universal requirement that we expect everyone to have to do in order to affirm that they too have received God's call, have been born in the spirit and are empowered for the mission of God in their own lives. 
The gift of tongues here in Acts is clearly used for the disciples to be able to sing the praises of God. And, and, and we have that phrase in our own lives, right? You know, if I were to stand up here and I was going to sing the praises of Pastor Jeff, I would say, you know, you know, all of the good things that I appreciate about him, the things I've noticed about his character and his life and what, what he does that makes me admire him and appreciate who he is. And I would celebrate those good things about him. I would sing his praises. We also have that experience in our, in our business culture, right? We have the growing understanding that, that many of us are product evangelists. We, we, we tell the good news story about some product that we really uh, have invested in that we like and that we prefer this product over that product. And so we tell all of our friends and we promote the product and we, we try and encourage people to convert from, from PC to Apple or from Apple to PC, Right? In the same way, being an evangelist for Jesus isn't necessarily about having to go door to door to knock on people's you know, doors and, and convince them to convert and believe so that we can get spiritual notches on our gun belt of souls that we've won for Christ. Evangelism is about being empowered by the Spirit to overflow with the good news message of what Jesus has done for me. To be, a, to be an evangelist is to, to sing the praises of what God has done and to recount the story, not only present day in our own lives, but through the centuries and the promises of God of where this is all leading so that we can have hope and so that we can have joy even in the midst of our struggles and so that we can experience the power of his spirit now to be his witnesses, not only to our friends and our neighbors, but to Sumner and to Ording and to Pierce County and around the world. That is the mission of the church and the mission of the church has never changed. This is our invitation and our call today. And as we ask the question, are we in the midst of a new reformation of the church? Might there be something new emerging out of this experience that, that is beyond what we could have imagined or conceived before, but, but God is inviting us to open ourselves in a new way. Is it possible that God's spirit might be a new gift that he gives us? to use our tongues, to, to speak in languages that translate the gospel